Heck, who am I kidding? It's always bug season in Texas. And that's why you need Grandeur Pest Solutions in your corner. They're locally owned and operated. They're trained, they're trustworthy, and they have a proven record as they have been in business for almost 10 years. They provide pest control against ants, bed bugs, bees, roaches, fleas, wasps, mosquitoes, rodents, spiders. If it crawls and you don't like it, they're probably going to take care of it for you. Now, they serve all of the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and they're locally owned. These two guys have been running this business since 2013, and every year they get bigger and bigger. But you know what they still do? They still have great customer service. In fact, if you get a hold of them, they're usually going to have your quote and your job ready to go within 48 hours. That's pretty good. Now, you can call them for a free estimate at 469-809-1769. You can find them online at Grandeur4, that's the number four, shore.com. You can also find them on Facebook. Just type in Grandeur Pet Solutions. And we are so happy that their title sponsor for Outdrank the Coverage in 2023. L4 Media, we talk high school football, 4A, 3A, and 2A in Texas. We talk East Texas sports. We talk NFL, guy talk, movie, and booze. We also talk wrestling and so much more. So like and subscribe and check us out. Well, if you're a fan of college Texas teams, mainly the two big ones or the Dallas Cowboys, this was an absolute shitty weekend. Hello, everybody. Terry Bennett, intern Noe. I drank the coverage right here on L4 Media, brought to you guys by Grandeur Pet Solutions. And no, I'm not so sad about the game that I'm just feeling down. <laughs> I was sick this weekend, uh, just now getting over it. But the, the football didn't help. But we'll talk about that. We're going to do a little something different. Uh, today on the first part of the show, but until then, before we get there, intern Noe, how are you doing and what are you drinking? Well, health-wise, I'm fine. Uh-huh. Uh, mental health-wise, you're not? Mental health-wise, no, so I have to turn to an old friend. Uh-oh. Oh, he brought back to MD 2020. Yep, old uh-huh. red grape wine. Cheers, buddy. What are you drinking? Water. I'm <laughs> just drinking water. Okay. Had some Theraflu earlier, drinking water, just trying to get better. All right, so, uh, you know, we, we could do what you're supposed to do in, in sports talk. I, I learned this in talk radio class 101 back in 2002. Dr. Haskins, hope you're doing well down in Galveston. Uh, but uh, you always put the, the the big topic, the candy segment to the end. I'm not like that. Screw that. We're going to just do it all at once. We're going to make it like a big old bowl of shit soup. So what we're going to do is talk about the AM loss, the Longhorn loss, and the Cowboys loss all this weekend. Go Rangers. Thank God you're saving us. I haven't said that since 2011. Uh, but I uh what I want to do is I want to I want to put a positive spin on this as much as we can. And we're gonna do that. We're gonna take those three games. I know we're we're kind of combining college and NFL into one section for the first part of this show, and that's fine. That's our show. We can do what we want. Uh, but we're gonna talk about where these teams go after this most recent loss. And which team, in your opinion, is closer to a goal than the other two? Like, or basically, how close are all three to obtaining whatever their goal is? I think for and let's set the goals right now. I think for the Cowboys, it's the NFC title game. Yeah, I know Super Bowl, blah blah blah. NFC title game first and foremost. I think for the Aggies, it's playing in the SEC uh, championship game. And then for Texas, I think it's a playoff spot and Big 12 championship game. Kind of lump those together because I think they kind of go hand in hand with Texas moving over into SEC next year. This is like you feel like they're 
last easiest chance to make a playoff, and they still can. So we're going to do that. We're going to dissect all three games, uh, and then we're going to talk about it. I say we start with probably the least, uh, you know, the, the least talked about of the weekend, just simply because of OU and Texas rivalry, and of course Dallas and all them. Let's talk A and M and their loss to Alabama once again, though. Intern Noe. Uh, they give the Tide everything they can handle, and a and almost pulled off the win. They did, and hey, kudos to Saban. Kudos to trusting Jalen Moore or Jalen Moreau. Uh, you know, their run, their run offense wasn't really doing much in this game. They only had 23 net yards rushing, which is very, very crazy when you you know thinking about it being Alabama. But they went into a hostile environment in College Station. Melrose got over 300 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, you know, the Aggies had their backup quarterback Max Johnson, but he he played fairly well, and it was it was a tight game. And Alabama came out with the win. It was a, I was really impressed with Alabama, but I was also impressed with how well Texas A&M played overall. Yeah, you know, you bring up the point about the run game. Neither team could run the ball. Uh, A&M ran for 23 yards, as you talked about. The Aggies rushed for 30, 67 yards. Now, LeVon Moss did do a good job of just kind of grinding out some drives for AM. Uh, but first off, this game speaks to where the SEC is. Uh, for all the talk about the SEC and, and defense and all that and, and run game, the, the, the SEC is now fully in, involved into the th- throw it all over the field. I felt all year that the, the biggest issue with Alabama wasn't Milrow or whoever they play at quarterback. For all the talk about Bob O'Brien, the dude's got a really good offensive mind, and he's especially at the college level. He has been at the cutting edge of a lot of the route tree concepts and, and passing uh, that, that you see in college football that is now you know moved up into the pros. Uh, but the, the issue has been running the ball and the same thing with Alabama. I mean, with A&M, these two teams can throw the ball, but they can't run the ball. But honestly, who in the SEC can right now? George is about the only one that I think of that consistently run the ball. The SEC is a passing league now, folks. Yeah, Ole Miss is a close second, but they usually abandon it in big games. And they use their pass game to set up their run game. Yeah, I mean, Dart usually is in the top three of their rushing attack and yeah, good point. He got like about 40, 50 yards a game, you know, the starting quarterback. But I mean, they have two or three really good running backs they could deploy. But yeah, during big games like the one they had against, um, you know, Alabama and then played play Georgia, like the, the running game kind of does go away. So yeah, it is more of a passing league, passing conference. Um, in Alabama, it was more of a recent thing. I think uh, Tua Tungabaloa kind of started that trend. They, they they experimented with it a little bit in 2014 or 15. I think that first year of the college football playoffs. Yeah, yeah, they did a lot more. Yeah, I think that was the first year they kind of experimented with it just because of necessity. And I think that was when they had uh, Mari Cooper. I think it was Cooper, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of that they, they had an asset they could use. Um, but, yeah, I mean, now the recruiting has changed, just top receivers. Uh, but, yeah, I mean – Hey, this is a, this is the type of win Alabama's gonna probably have to have the rest of the year. It's, it's not going to be easy or beautiful for them, but they kind of knocked A and M off the path to a division championship. I mean, the season's far from over. None of the SEC teams looks really good. Even I wouldn't even say Georgia does, even though they look like they kind of figured it out on offense. Or Kentucky's just not there yet. Or Kentucky's just not there yet. Uh, 
But yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I like the fact that the SEC is either getting competitive, or I mean, like most of the most of the mid tier teams are starting to the Georgias and the Alabamas, the LSU's, which is good for the conference. Competition is good for the overall. Uh, for the for the for the for football in general, it's just it's yeah. really good because especially for someone like me, I don't have a favorite team in college football, so I, I'm just enjoying watching any kind yeah. of upset or potential upset. Well, I, I will say this: I, I think that how the OU Texas game was played, I, I saw a lot of articles on Sunday, Saturday night, and this morning talking about you know for all the talk about is OU and Texas ready for SEC? Maybe the question should be: Is the SEC ready for OU and Texas? Because I mean, OU and Texas both look and. Uh, I know we're talking a but just to kind of, we're bleeding it into the SEC, I promise. But, you know, for all the talk about some people are going to joke, oh, well, I guess Texas really isn't back because they lost. I like what Ivan Mazel said. You just stop. This wasn't – Texas didn't lose standing by losing this game. This was a battle of two top ten, probably top five teams that came down to a, an amazing final two minutes of football total with what Texas did and then how OU responded. And, and so maybe the SEC needs to be worried about them coming in more than – OU and Texas coming into the SEC. Well, if anything, at least Alabama needs to clean up their mistakes. They had yeah. a lot of mistakes in this game. If they're going to even want to think of competing against Oklahoma and Texas on the field or recruiting, they're going to have to play cleaner football because, I mean, they had a bunch of false starts. I mean, it cost them almost 100 yards, almost the length of a football field in penalties. So, And, and they turned the ball over a couple times too. It, and I'm not – downplaying AM when I say that. Yeah. I mean AM is a good team. You know, Jimbo Fisher is on the hot seat. They have a offensive coordinator that could potentially be their future head coach. And, oh. uh, Bobby Petrino. Oh. Kind of a similar kind of similar situation with the Washington Commanders, but you know, we'll oh. get to that later. Uh it, so I, you just hang on. I think you just you, you put dirt already on an Aggie grave right there. I I, no. I I think if if they if they do find the money to get rid of Jimbo, I think it's a it's a complete clean clean out everything start zero over. I, there's no way you can introduce Bobby Petrino as your head coach. I don't think a college program out that's bigger than a d- small D one could put that man as the the head of your program and expect to have good things happen to it. He's he's a good recruiter. He's have an improved track record in college football of being successful and to being a very bad person that sleeps around with secretaries. I just I don't I, that man's chance, and then also just the fact how he treated the Atlanta Falcons. I I would love it just for the drama. It would be freaking yeah, fun to watch. But yeah, I just if you're gonna get rid of Jimbo, you you clean out. But let's go ahead and let's let's go ahead and talk about all that. All right, so you know Aggies last year. That was the year, or was it like, yeah, last year was supposed to be year. They were going to, you know, they were going to do it. They had all these young freshmen, but they were all so damn good. They were going to step right in and be national champion contenders. And that never felt like a realist. And it wasn't. All right. So this year they kind of started with a little, with very little fanfare. And I kind of thought that was a good thing. I, I think they're a program. They're kind of like the Cowboys. You kind of wanted them to do their things in the shadows because if, if when things start getting good in the Aggies, they start thumping their chest a lot and they, you, and the media eats it up and the fans eat it up and they get to be 
where they're way better or way worse than they really are. And and, I, and the Cowboys are like that too. The media just they either put they want to ride the Cowboys up or they want to bury them. They they never can find that middle ground. So this year it started kind of quiet and they they lost to that to Miami. We'll talk about Miami here in a minute. <laughs> they lost to Miami, but you know that was that happens early up. Since then they'd won three in a row. They'd beat an okay Auburn team. They'd beat an Arkansas team that feels like that the, for the next five years Arkansas is going to always be well they're good but they're not as good as their record or whatever. But I, I felt that there was some good positive vibes coming for Alabama. I still feel that after this Alabama game, I don't think that this game knocks. I'm still as, I don't know if I'm bullish on Aggies, but I'm still as okay with A&M now as I was before this game. Oh yeah. I mean, if you look at this game, they, they hung with Alabama has a tradition under Saban. They are the big bullies. They have five star starters and five and four star backups. Yeah. A lot of depth with Alabama A&M. The one thing I will say about Jimbo Fisher, he's doing well, is recruiting. Portion of that is him. Portion of that is just being in the SEC. Yeah. Now, going back to what you were saying to start the podcast, in general, all the SEC teams, uh, they will be affected with Oklahoma and Texas coming into the conference on a recruiting standpoint. I really feel that Missouri and A&M kind of benefited from it from the early onset. Oh, yeah. Uh, just by having that SEC brand attached to them how that affects the rest of the conference going forward with UT and Oklahoma and how well-funded they are and their tradition, their history is yet to be seen. I mean, I, I feel it will be a seismic shift, just my prediction. I'm not sure how it's going to affect everybody, but uh, now going back to A&M, they, they started backup quarterback, Max Johnson. He did find his brother again for a touchdown. Yeah. Uh, I, I really think A&M is on the right track. Yeah, I do too. Uh, but I think there needs to be change at the top because it just seems like they're just spinning in circles, right? Okay, now. but so I was literally about to say that's crazy you say that because I was literally about to say the most aggy thing would be to do is if if let's say Jimbo and, and let's let's so Jimbo and the, the Aggies they have uh, they have Tennessee next week, mm-hmm. South Carolina the the week after. Uh, or excuse me, there's a bye, then Ole Miss, then Mississippi State, then the uh, famous uh, SEC Week 9 game where there's it's Abilene Christian, and then they finish with LSU. I, I legitimately think that you look at that team, you, you look at the A&M, and they can, they can win out or they could lose all the ranked games and beat all the teams they should beat. I, I'm going to call the middle. I, I think they beat. Ole Miss. I mean, I think they beat Tennessee. I think they beat AM or LSU, but I think they lose to Ole Miss. So that would give them, what are they right now? Four and two. So five and two, six and two, six and three, seven and three, eight and three, eight and four, a good bowl game. Not not a great bowl game, a good bowl game. To me, the most aggy thing would be to do then is to fire your coach and have to start all over. Because yeah. this isn't the thing about if you're if you're making the right steps forward under a, a coach, if you change that out, that starts all go back to that all goes back to zero because you got a new coach, new everything else. So I, I, I unless they just completely collapse this year, I, I don't think Jim. Look, Jimbo has now become their Mac Brown, and, and so what Jimbo needs is he needs an iconic player to to, to play at quarterback. Or something like that, like what Mac Brown finally got with Vince Young. 
and, and, and you're going to completely change how you feel about Jimbo Fisher if you're an Aggie fan. And let's be honest, they have not had a dynamic quarterback since Jimbo Fisher has been the head coach there. Yeah, it was just shocking because he had Jameis Winston at Florida State, and it seemed like he was getting good recruits. Uh, but, yeah, ever since Jameis Winston, like he really hasn't had an elite level quarterback. Well, I, mean, they rec- I mean, by recruiting stars, Haynes King from Longview, <laughs> um, he's, you know, he was a five-star quarterback. I never understood it. All Longview jokes aside, if if you don't know, I'm from Marshall. That's a that's a blood rival from the almost the Civil War days. We all and we will be talking about Haynes King later on. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Uh, but uh, but you know, he he was a five star guy or four and a star guy. So I mean, it's not that they haven't got the recruits; they just haven't happened. Now, I, I don't think that Aggies didn't develop King. Like I said, I just I never understood the King that big of a. I think he was a benefit of a very talented. Uh, team and system in Longview. But anyway, I, I think the Aggies are going to be fine. Now, how close are they to a SEC title game? They're going to be further next year with Oklahoma and AM because no matter how they do the divisions, I do not see a division where it, A&M's not in with both of them. I mean, it's just natural to kick a or to kick Alabama over to the to the West and maybe one other team. And then you, you keep, you know, LSU, Texas, Texas, A&M, OU and Arkansas. That right there is just the makings of love. That, that's the, that's the Southwest conference and the big eight of the eighties and seventies put together to where every game in the Southwest is going to, or in the SEC West is just going to be an absolute dogfight every week. And that's what we're here for. That's why we want this, divi- this conference to happen. Yeah. I could see maybe, cause right now it's, let me look at it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven in the east and seven in the west. So I think maybe Arkansas might move over to the east, but you kind of want that Southwest Conference rivalry there with Texas and Oklahoma. Right now I see Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, or maybe LSU moves over to the east. No, no, let's wait. They're way too west. Um, yeah, Alabama, Auburn, they're in the same state. They have to stay. Mississippi State and Ole Miss have to stay. Texas, Oklahoma, they're border states. Uh, but yeah, Arkansas, no, even Arkansas, no, they're, they're mean, way too you, west. I, 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 I can't really see another team. It would just be a stacked west. unless just they move, Just move Bama and Auburn over to the east and there you go. But then it'd be stacked on the east. Well, it's good. well I mean, both would be stacked at that you'd point. Have to move, you'd have to move. No, I'm, I'm saying as far as, like, you want to even split. No, I'm saying if you got Texas and OU coming in. Yeah, they're going to go to the west. And then you move Auburn and Alabama over to the West. They are already in the West. I mean, over to the East. That's what I'm saying. You move them over to the East. That's your split right there. You you keep, you keep the Texas schools, you keep OU, you keep Arkansas and LSU all together. And you add Mississippi and Mississippi state, which I think would be really good rivals for, I I think the West would be a fun conference. And then you put Alabama and Auburn over into the East. I know Georgia's not going to have like that, but oh well. And and then there you go. And you've got two divisions of football that are just going to be every week, almost absolutely a blast to watch. Yeah. But like there's going to be two teams added and there's seven teams in each division. So some only one team can really move over to the East. Why? Because right now, if you add Texas and Oklahoma to the West, it'll be nine. And then according to you, if you move Alabama and Auburn to the East, now the East will have nine and the West will have seven. So you got to have, there just has to be one team you got to move out of there. The only one I would say makes the most sense because they don't have multiple teams in the state would be Arkansas. 
but they're still geographically pretty well. You're not, you're, you're not, I don't know. I, I still think you still just go Alabama and Auburn over to the, to, to the East. And I, I, I don't get the issue with that. That, that feels like the most natural split. I mean, because they are they border Florida, so they would be the most East team. Yeah, I I, I, I get that part. But then at that point, then the East is going to have nine teams. You got to move someone from the East over to the West to make it eight and eight, unless they want to do a a nine and seven division split. I mean, I don't I don't have a problem with that. I guess as a numbers guy, I kind of do. <laughs> I mean, Tennessee, Vanderbilt, they have to be in the same division. Uh, maybe Missouri move over to the West, make it more of a sort of big 12 sort of southwest conference yeah you know what? that's actually a, you just brought up a really good point i don't think we've all of us that have had fun doing this we always keep taking about what are we going to take out of the west but you're right just yeah i think missouri that makes a lot of sense right there actually missouri or vanderbilt um I, and i don't care about where they're actually are in this in the country i mean hell dude dallas plays in the nfc east and neither one of us would, would ever want that to change and that if you know, i wasn't a cowboy fan i would push for a, a a realignment in the nfl well yeah i would too but because we're not i mean because we are and we love our rivals so again i, I have no problem if if technically once you know vanderbilt's more west missouri but missouri missouri feels like the more natural you know connection there correct yeah so move Alabama, Auburn to the east, Missouri to the west. We've solved it for Greg Sankey. Yeah, there you go. As simple as that. He, he is welcome. Yeah, and they could also do the other thing where they just play round robin and, and you don't have conference or divisions. But I, I think it, my theory has always been that them and the Big Ten will eventually combine and just become a, the college football league and it'll be like the NFL. So the I think you want everybody. Uh, yeah, the CFL. Seriously, or you could you know college football, Amer- CFAL, yeah. college football American League, or whatever you wanted to do. Um, but anyway, so for Aggies, this kind of felt like that. This was kind of their year to maybe sneak into that SEC tra- championship game without as much road blocking in the middle. Now they could also tell you that they feel that if you get rid of A and M and Auburn, and let's say you bring Missouri over. Uh, that they might feel that the road is get gets unblocked because Alabama's not there. But I, again, I, I think that I, I think you know, no jokes on the Texas Texas A and M rivalry. I think Texas and OU all of a sudden both look very very well built to be in the SEC going forward. Oh yeah, I mean, just easily from a recruiting standpoint, and now the SEC is playing more of the same style that the Big Twelve is playing. It, yeah. it just makes most sense. Uh, I'm looking at. Uh, I'm looking at Alabama's schedule. I'm starting to think that maybe A&M might not be out of the West division race. Yeah. Alabama's hosting Arkansas. Then they host Tennessee and LSU. So it's three straight home games. Uh, and then they go to Kentucky. And, of course, the, the gimme game against Chattanooga. And then they end the season with the Iron Bowl at Auburn. That's always a tough game. Yeah, I mean, I could see them losing another game down the stretch. It's, it's, this is not the strongest Alabama team in Nick Saban's there. This is probably on par with their 07 team, which is his first year, and they went they were 500, I believe, that season. I, so, yeah, I just don't trust Tennessee, LSU, or Kentucky either, though. Yeah, because they're I, I, again, I agree. They're teams that are like trying to contend. They're on the cusp, but they're missing something. Usually, yeah. it's a depth thing. Uh, yeah. I, I could see Alabama still losing a game or two down the stretch. It's, it's very possible. A&M's not out of the race, but they probably need to roll the table. 
or roll the table, run the <laughs> table, went out. I, I, I think uh, not Petrino. I, I think Jimbo Fisher keeps his job if he just loses one more game down the stretch and gets like a big win, like against LSU. Yeah, if he wins one of the 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 ranked games left, um, I, I think he's okay as long as there's not a collapse. If you lose, like if you beat Tennessee, but then you lose to LSU, but it's a 35-31 game that's just a really fun game, you know, kind of like Texas OU. Yeah. I don't think that – I don't think – I, I think his money keeps him safe for at least another year as long as there's not a full collapse. Now, all bets are off next year with Texas. If Texas beats A&M, any of that kind of stuff, then he's in trouble. But let, let's now turn our attention to the Longhorns because, honestly, of the three that lost this weekend, Aggies, Longhorns, and Cowboys, I think the Longhorns are the one that's still positioned best, and I will be surprised if they don't end up still in the Big 12, Big 12 championship game. Yeah, I don't see the Longhorns losing another game to end the season. I, I really think that they're going to – finish the season with only one loss and they'll end up playing Oklahoma again in the big 12 championship game. The difference between this year and last year was Oklahoma's defense has gotten much better. And Dylan Gabriel was healthy. Well, go ahead. Go ahead. Last year, Texas shut out Oklahoma. I think it was the most lopsided loss in the the red river rivalry shootout history. Yeah. And you know, this year is a different story. It was still a close game. It was still turn a mistake filled just because it's two really good teams playing against each other. But, you know, it ended up being decided by, you know, Dylan Gabriel tossing the end zone to end the game, but a few seconds left. So, first off, I want to point out again, like I said, Ivan Mazel said, if people are going to start the old joke, oh, I guess Texas isn't back. They didn't watch the game. Um, Texas, this reminds me so much of when Ellinger and Herman beat OU and it was Kyler Murray's first ever loss in, you know, competitive football. And then in the Big 12 championship game, OU beat Texas comfortably. It wasn't a blowout, but it was comfortable. You never felt OU was in danger. This feels a lot like that because Texas played the worst first quarter that you could play. Outside of the punt block, they just were not on – they were not playing well. Ewers, two turnovers in his first 10 attempts and all that. But from that point on, they basically had their way with a very good OU defense. Ewers ended up at one point after that start was like 20 of 24. He broke the UT record for most completions in a game, uh, straight completions in a game. He finally looked like the true, okay, I can go win it. Now, where the game got lost, though, was, and this I'm not saying this is like, oh, you're a terrible coach, but Sark's decision-making to go for it on fourth and goal uh, after really just trying – and we'll bring this up again, this whole, I'm going to do something to prove that my team is man enough to do it is stupid. Just if you're going to, you're at a goal line offense, quit trying to be a power football team when you're not a power football team. Um, but also I will say this, that fourth down goal or fourth down play, that ball is a way closer than people realize to being a touchdown. I, I, I still contend. I think you could make the case that it, it probably did hit you know because all you gotta do is touch the goal line the ball just has to barely be over the goal line it's a touchdown and worthy stretches his hand out and it's really really close but anyway if you just kick the field goal there you're you win the game if you just kick the field goal there you win the game now this was in reference to uh 
forget what quarter it was. I guess it was the fourth quarter, or it yeah, went into the fourth quarter. Yeah, going for four. Or going and, for four. I, I think, yeah, the, the series before, I mean, I, I could see the emotional side of it because the series before, Oklahoma went for it on fourth and one or two from midfield, roughly, and didn't get, and didn't get it. So it was kind of a momentum shifter because – Very much was. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma was up by a touchdown at that point, kind of in control. Texas made the stop. Momentum – and you know, in theory, has shifted, and Texas drove it all the way to the Oklahoma two, fourth and goal. It, okay, it, it, if if I was in his shoes, I would kick a field goal. Yeah, uh, again, yeah, it, it's a it's a wrong call. I don't think it's a bad call. It's it's not a bad call. Yeah, uh, that actually the 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 play call might not have been great. I actually but, like the play call. He like I said, if you go look at it, he. Basically, I mean, it's really, really close. It is really, really close. In fact, if he didn't get in, a little bit of blame on Worthy because it's fourth down, so it doesn't matter if you fumble or not. You need to have that ball stretched out as soon as you caught it because you literally—he was literally close enough to as he caught it, he probably could have. And you and I get it, you fumble, but it doesn't matter if he fumbles. You fumble, you still lose the ball. I'm just saying. Like I said, I don't think it's a bad call. But it turned out to be the wrong call because if you kick that field goal, I think Texas wins, and you, I think that the fourth quarter plays out where Texas wins. You're not having to to worry about stopping OU on a minute fifteen. I mean, the defense proved that they could stop Oklahoma's offense, so maybe that maybe that's what Sarkeesian was worried about the the fact that the defense couldn't stop Oklahoma's offense, but they've already proved that they could. So yeah, and that's not. A, I mean. Yeah, part of me agrees with you about Xavier Worthy. He's six one. He could have probably stretched out and got that, got the touchdown. Mm-hmm. But and again, I'm not blaming him like it's his fault. I'm just making the point. I, I don't have a problem with the play call. Uh, yeah, I would well, like to have seen that play call on first or second down. Maybe yeah. I, I have issues with the first three play calls. Just simply running three dive plays. Yeah, I get it. You want to be macho. You want to install your will, but you also need the points. So, you know, let's be smart. If you have to fake them. Fine, fake them. I don't care. I just would like to have seen Ewers in a, a, a play action bootleg run pass option. Oh, that's kind of a dicey move on fourth and goal from the one that's that's almost borderline being too. No, cute. I'm, talking about, I'm talking about at any point in the drive. First down, oh, third, yeah. down third down, fourth down. And why would it be dicey on fourth down? Your 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 guy, you're you're gonna get them to bite. And I wouldn't have done it on fourth down either, because I think the only reason it I get you saying dice because they're thinking, okay, you've ran three times now. You're gonna you're gonna pass the ball, but I just mean in in, in in any point of that four plays, do something besides just three straight dives. Yeah, oh yeah, agreed. I think it was two dives and a pitch out. Sorry, one second down was a pitch out, which was even a worse decision. Jonathan Brooks basically saved you because he got hit three yards behind the line, and he basically drug OU players to get it to at least back to the line of scrimmage. So the three play calls were, were big issues, and then the defense on the last drive. That defense, you know, one of the one of the issues that UT has that people don't really talk about is their pass rush. They get to the quarterback, but they don't. They remind me of the 09 Cowboys where they get to the quarterback or they don't. Yeah. They don't live in the backfield. Like for all the talk, and yeah, we can talk about last night, but I'm just talking about in right now in this Dan Quinn era, Dallas, the sacks are great, but when Dallas's defense is feasting, they're just living in the backfield all game. And, and so Texas doesn't do that. And so I felt that they were very, very, very soft on their coverage in, in that last drive. I mean, I knew... Uh, oh, and, and hang on. I'm sorry. I want to go back. 
the Sark decisions in the that drive also affected UT on the final drive when UT should have probably been more aggressive and, and ran off more time. Um, that third down going for it with a draw play. I get it. You were on the edge of field position, like fourth down, like you're either on the edge of making it being in field goal range and you want to assure that I get that. But at that point, I think you'd have, it'd have been better off if you ended up just not scoring and you, you, you run out the half and you go to overtime. So he was too conservative there. They should have ran off more time on that drive. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, I mean, Oklahoma drove 75 yards in one minute, and they won the game. But uh, going back to that final drive, I wish coaches would just take a class on time management. It's always been a problem for me, and, and I don't think I've really mentioned it until the last 11, 12 years, just watching Jason Garrett coach. You Cowboys and I have the same thoughts a lot of times. <laughs> I, I don't get it. Like, I remember – I'm trying to think of a coach that did this. Oh, a, a recent coach, uh, the uh, Packers' current coach. Oh, uh, uh, skinny Mike McCarthy. Yeah, so essentially skinny Mike McCarthy. <laughs> uh, I I really like the way, especially with him and Rogers were clicking, and they they were just on on tune. They were so good at killing the clock in the second yes. half. They would have these eight, 10 minute drives in the third quarter that would basically just ice the game and take the will out of the other team. It's not like they were vastly superior. They just knew how to manage the clock better. And I don't get how these coaches just, they got the X's and O's right. They're a head coach for a reason. They're all really good coaches. It's just for some reason when they're in a head coach position, they just don't know how to manage the clock. It's just like one extra thing they're not thinking about. And these are not rookie coaches. These are experienced coaches. Sarkeesian's been a head coach before. Yeah. He's been he's been in the league. He's been in college football for over 30 years. Like he, he knows what he's doing. But for some reason, it, it, clock management has just always been an issue. I, we should do a show on clock management and some of the 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 gaffes some of these head coaches have done in the history of NFL and college football. Yeah, now I I, do, I will say I think he's usually better at he doesn't have a lot of true clock management gaffes. Like you just, you just, you're yeah. like when Brandon Staley is saying uh, LA, we're always waiting. Okay. It's going to come. If, if the game's close, there's going to be a moment. Um, and, and to give Sark credit, the call for go for it on fourth down early in the game, uh, probably kept Texas in the game when OU had the momentum and had the motivation and, and had the fire and everything. And, and speaking of, that's the reason why this game is different. Oh, you came out fired up. Oh, you looked faster, uh, as we like to say. I mean, they weren't faster. They were just more aggressive. Old, old Texas that isn't back loses that game by two touchdowns. Probably makes a comeback in the fourth quarter to make it look really close, but can never close the deal. New Texas was able to weather that and still respond and still have the lead with you know a minute left in the game. That's why this isn't, oh, it's old Texas. This is just two really good teams. And again, OU, everything broke right for OU on a night or day where Texas made a lot of mistakes. That's why I still feel that Texas right now, if these two teams played again, I still like Texas to win the game. If they play 10 times, I think Texas wins six to seven times. Yeah. Rematch, this, this should be the rematch for the Big 12 title game. And I think it will be a a de facto playoff game. Oh, I think it will almost, be too. Almost a, a quarterfinal game. I, I, exactly 100%. And that's why I feel that of the three that we're talking about here at the beginning and, and the meat of the show, A&M, Dallas, Texas, all losing three tough games this week. I think Texas is the one that this actually might, if they handle it right, 
might be the mm-hmm. best thing that happens to them going forward. Uh, and, and Lincoln Riley always talked about for that OU team, that's what made them better the rest of the year was because Texas popped them on the mouth. They had never been popped on the mouth and they had to respond. I think Texas got that in this game. Uh, but that's about as positive as we can get because we're about to go into the dark, dark skies of San Francisco as last night the Dallas Cowboys got bent over, raw dogged, and and made to enjoy all things that they weren't supposed to like. I, I don't know, man. You know, all the jokes you and I, you know, you do a show like this, you got to be extreme to, as far as even if we're doing it tongue-in-cheek sometimes because people that's what people want to listen to. They don't want to listen to the everything's going to be okay mantra. Uh, I I wasn't even mad last night, dude. I was lethargic to it. And it wasn't the NyQuil. It could have been some of the NyQuil. But it wasn't. I just, I knew this was coming all week for some reason. I just knew that this was, I don't think this is a good matchup, first off. And second off, I just don't think Dallas is as good right now as we think they are. (laughs) Cue in the Dennis Green. Yeah, I told you that. I was going to do all that and have that for jokes and have Butch Davis. We're going to find out today who are the contenders and who are the pretenders. But I just, I'm like, I don't even, I'm not unmotivated right now. Well, Dallas' a second loss this season. It was against an NFC West opponent Again. on the road, and it was a, a record-setting performance. Uh, in the Arizona loss, Josh Dobbs got his first win as an NFL quarterback in seven years. Yep. Been in the league seven years, never won, besides the win against the Cowboys. Okay, cool. And then last night, uh, George Kittle got a three-touchdown game for the first time in his career. Okay, cool, you know. Just record-setting performances against the Cowboys defense. Uh, <laughs> I, I, just, I mean, everything was wrong with this game. Uh, coaching was bad. Players played terrible. Dak reverted back to his form last season. I don't okay, know. The okay, okay, I want to cut you off right there just because I want to say this. I got to pour my third drink. Go ahead, brother. The, the two, I don't count the two last interceptions. That game was over. I, I don't care what he'd have done. It would have been no different if he'd have thrown two cheap touchdowns and, and people trying to make it. Dak was not great last night, but I, I didn't. Dak was not the issue in any way to me last night. There wasn't, there wasn't throws early in the game where I was like, God, why are you making that throw? Like, Honestly, he's. I'm going to go back to what it's the offense, dude. It is the offense, the offense, the offense. I don't like the scheme. I don't like the concepts. They're they're mired in 1997 West Coast football, and they're not good for this era. Well, I mean, Mike McCarthy has watched a lot of tape. <laughs> you love that. You have been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mike McCarthy came in and pitched this to Jerry Jones, and for some reason, Jerry Jones bought it hook, line, sinker. I I guess he was just living in the fact that Mike McCarthy won a Super Bowl in Arlington, and I I don't don't know why. You don't like the Mike McCarthy hire at all? I did not. I'm talking about like now, looking back now, because I think for the most part, as a head coach, after he got the first season, the first season he was trying too hard. And also, I know Dak got hurt, but even before Dak got hurt, look that that game that season was going to be a eight and eight season where we scored a lot of points, but we gave up a lot of points. Even if Dak would have played healthy, he made a lot of really bad decisions. That fake punt against Way, uh, Washington back, you know, and all that. But I think since twenty twenty one, Mike McCarthy as a head coach has been perfectly fine. And it's the same thing I've been telling you. They've improved every year mm-hmm. since he's been a head coach. Twenty twenty, I mean, just throw that year out the window. Uh, they were, I think, six and ten, 
But the next year, they won the division, hosted a playoff game. The year, the last season, they made it. They won a playoff game. So technically, he has improved every year as a head coach. Yeah, I'll always crap on him for the bad losses, though. Oh yeah, for all the you and I just a few years ago, I think 2017, we were just hoping that the Cowboys could just have a blowout win so we could just enjoy our Sunday, not yeah. have to sit on pins and needles hoping that they'll get a big break in the game. And for the most part, that they've been having blowouts since then and this year we're kind of reminds me of 2019 where they would have these blowout wins but just look like they've never played football in their losses and this is a a great example uh i i I was very hopeful going into this game i thought it'd be a close loss like i think i told you 21 17 yeah because i remember the divisional round that was the first that was the only bad game brock Purdy's ever had yep he looked bad against the Cowboys. The Cowboys got to him, and you saw how mediocre he was. And this game, the Cowboys did not get to him. So whatever adjustments they made on the, on the 49er part worked out because he was pretty clean. He was sacked once, two-yard loss. That was it. He had four touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, he played a perfect game. Uh, you know, the, the rushing attack was there. You know, Dallas kind of invested in the draft to address this issue stopping the run and it didn't seem to really do much of anything. I mean, McCaffrey didn't really have the best game. Yeah, So that's one of those. Here's the thing though, with the rush, they had 170. Uh, but a lot of that was to me after the game was truly decided. But, but the, thing, the thing with the run game was it felt like that when they needed yards with the run game, they always got them. And so the, the the I don't think the run game was as bad as say against the Cardinals, but you also didn't feel that in any way that San Francisco. I mean, the defense played well through most of the first, after the first drive through the second quarter to really the last drive, they felt they they played pretty good. And they actually got a lot of better pressure on him. Uh, they didn't get a sacks, but like Jonathan Hankins knocked the ball down a couple times. Uh, there was that play where the, the the one sack was very close to being a fumble play because Fowler got around and behind Brock Purdy. Uh, and so, you know, again, if you make that play, that that maybe changes things for a little while. But at the end of the day, I know Dak and, and, and I hate the offense and, and all, but th- this is on the defense. The, the defense is supposed to be the bell cow of this team now. And, and I don't mind that you're going to have bad games against good offenses, but you got knocked in the face last night and they never responded. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the points off turnover thing was 14, but that was more in the second half when the game was kind of out of reach anyway. Yeah. The uh, three and outs for Dallas, that that's not good. They just, it was just terrible, dude. They they couldn't run the ball. Their receivers couldn't get separation. My big issue last year was before C.D. Lamb kind of blew up in the second half was none of the receivers could get separation. It's kind of the same issue the Patriots are having right now. Yeah. I don't, so that's why I don't really blame Mike Jones solely for their issues. But with the Cowboys, they have Brandon Cooks. They have C.D. Lamb. They have enough speed, and they're still not getting separation. So it goes to the point where, well, who do you blame now? Is it, is it coaching? Because- I don't like the offensive concept. I really, really don't. I, I said this off the air before we started. The, the, the West Coast is predicated on run after catch. Yeah. 
And Lamb might be the only one that's truly a run-after-catch guy, and even he's not. Dallas has a bunch of wide receivers that run really solid routes, and then they get they catch the ball either over the top or they catch the ball, and they, they might get four or five yards, but they're going to be tackled. But they need to be past the sticks on throwing. This offense with Mike McCarthy is throw it, you know, let the wide receivers clear out, throw it, you know, check down, check down. You saw some good things. Jake Ferguson looked really good last night. You, you saw where once he catches the ball, some of the other, and I think Pollard actually looked decent enough for the stats. Don't really, he just never, you never, the running game never got on track on track and never got going, but, but Pollard, you know, other than the fumble, and that was just one of those plays, man, give Warner credit. He came up and, he, and by the way, give the defense credit there because they respond with a fumble in of itself. So, you know, if we're going to, when, when, when we knock a unit, we've got it also at that point, I felt, okay, Dallas fumbled the ball. Dallas gets it back. Maybe we're about to finally settle into a game. And, and what the Niners do so well is they never let the, uh, the other teams settle into their stuff. Dallas never felt like they got settled in last night to their core concepts, their core schemes, their core moves. Give all the credit to that, to, to San Francisco and McCaffrey and that staff. But also, I'm going to go back to, I like Mike McCarthy, the head coach, perfectly fine. I do not like this offense with, with him. This was a mistake to try to go conservative like this. And you're playing against the wrong team to be doing that. The 49ers defense is just I mean, they're they're fast. Well, and that's the thing, dude. You said that right there, and you can literally say the same thing about the Eagles. Yeah. Why did we decide? Uh, and you've got to look around. And this is Mac Brown. And you know, we talked about which team is closest, and all three of the programs: Aggies, Cowboys, and, and Texas. It's been forever. And, and, and Mac Brown made the biggest mistake in the world when, after that loss to A and to Alabama in the national championship game, and he has maybe the greatest spread quarterback in, in Gilbert coming back in as a sophomore. Yeah. The team is has built on the 07-08, basically air raid. Texas Colt McCoy basically ran an air raid offense with Texas. Quick passes to your slots over the top once the safeties came up, um, and, and Mac Brown completely decides, oh, now we're going to be a power team when he wasn't reading the room like. Dude, we're not in a. You're not in the SEC in 2010. You're in the Big 12. You need to score 50 points a game. So I, I do the same to Mike. Noe, why did they look at who the top other two teams were in the NFL and decide, hey, you know how we're going to beat them? We're going to go conservative and we're going to run the ball because Philadelphia's defense, you can pass on them if you can stay upright. They're that they're kind of like Dallas, honestly. They're kind of like where defenses are in today's NFL. If you can block the, the pass rushers, you, you can move the ball on Philadelphia. San Francisco's at a different level. Let's just give it to them. They have made they, they for all the talk about Dallas's defense. San Francisco might have one of the better defenses of the t- last twenty five years. You know, uh, well, where's the flaw there? I mean, you look at uh, Bosa. He was he he got to Dak Prescott four times. Got a half sack for two uh, losses too. So I mean, he's playing both the run game and the 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 pass game very well. They lost Jimmy Ward to the. Uh, um, sorry, mm-hmm. they they lost you know Jimmy Ward to the uh, the Houston Texans. Yeah, they replaced him with Tayshawn Gibson Senior. So they got mm-hmm. him and All Pro Talanoa Hafunga in safety. So nothing's going to get over them. And then you got one of the best man to man corners in Tredavious Ward, just locking down players. And then you got the best linebacker in football, uh, Fred Warner, able to 
run step with step with Brandon Cooks. And dude, yeah. that EW was it EW Greenshire or whatever? The other hell, he looked just as good. Oh, in Drake Greenlaw. Yeah, he looked just yeah. I was, I was Hobbit names there. He looked just as good as Warner did last night. Yeah, it's it, it, there is no flaw, and then they got Javon Hargrave to shore up the. You're gonna I mean, hate this. The, uh, yeah, the uh, tush push the Eagles might attempt on them in the yep. future. There is no flaw in that defense. This you know is they, you know what that defense looks like. 92-93 Cowboys. Fast yeah. fly to the ball. They get pressure. They might not always get sacks, but they're gonna get pressure, pressure, pressure. Re, hey, redirect, redirect the throw. Redirect the throws. Now, the that one thing that they do, and this is why I think about them in the ninety-two, ninety-three. The one thing that those old defenses did do was give up a few big plays because they were just so aggressive. And San Francisco, you can sometimes catch. And like the drive where Dallas scored, you yeah. saw when, again, and this is why you have to have, you, you go back, okay, there's hope. That wasn't a drive that San Francisco helped them with bad penalties or there was, Dallas drove the ball down the field. It's there. But I'll yeah. tell you, go back and watch those plays. That sure looked a little more like a Kellen Moore offense than a Mike McCarthy offense. They were moving the ball past the sticks, getting the receiver. Hell, look at the touchdown, the Turpin. That was a 35-yard touchdown. Beautiful throw, beautiful route run. That was the first and maybe only time in that game where I felt, oh, Dallas's coaches just outcoached San Francisco's coaches. That was a play that San Francisco was not expecting. Um, I don't know, man. It's frustrating with Dallas because – like somebody said, I was reading this morning, Dallas, we always overrate everything, the good and the bad, but this game, I, I don't know. Um, I'll get to the positives here in a second, but this didn't feel like this gets any better this year or maybe next year, or maybe you're just going to have to hope that you get a 95 season and you don't, you know, maybe something happens where the Niners get through some injuries or they lose a couple of weird games and they end up, you know, not, the you know the number two division maybe the third or the fourth or something like that and they don't they get Eagles in the second round because I do think Dallas is still has a is a matchup it matches up better with the Eagles I I still think that the, the, those games are good good Dallas can split those I don't think they can sweep I think Dallas can split those games um, but I just don't know San Francisco just looks unbeatable to Dallas right now. Yeah, I mean, unless they suffer the same injury issues that's kind of derailed them the last couple of years, or at least last three years, uh, I don't see San Francisco losing another game, <laughs> to be honest with you. They're, they're, I think their toughest game was against the the Rams, and they ended up pulling away there. So it, it, there's no flaw in this team. I've loved the way this, this team plays since Shanahan has become the head coach. Uh they just play well. Like, as much as I love Matt LaFleur and the Packers for their clock management skills, I really love the the beautiful offense that Shanahan runs with the 49ers, especially when everybody's healthy. Yeah. It's, it's, it is a thing to watch. Well, and, and there is a point of uh, it doesn't matter what you scheme when they're on their game. Now, and to be fair, even without injuries, they can have four or five offensive games where they just don't put it all together. For whatever reason, this isn't. This is a very well built offense. This is an offense built to win playoff games, but that also means that this is an offense that at times, if sometimes the moving parts aren't connected. But let's let's now look at Dallas for the rest of the way. I still feel Dallas is the third best team in the NFC. I, I just I do think part of this is just simply these the Niners. At least right now, 
are that much better. I think the Niners are better than the Eagles. I think the Niners were better than the Eagles last year. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think if you at least have Jimmy G or Brock Purdy, that's a different game. But for Dallas, I still think that they're the third best team in the NFC. More than the Lions and the Seahawks? Yes, yes. I, I still don't trust the Lions uh, to to defense when it really, really matters. And, that, and, and Seattle is one of the most – I mean, they're kind of like Dallas, I guess, in a way. They can look really, really good at times offensively, and then they can just look really, really bad at times. Uh, and, and and I just don't trust the construct of San Francisco or, or Seattle's roster. Um, well, you know, you know, the best thing about the loss, I guess, the 49ers was the fact that it was early and it's only one loss. Yeah. Uh, well, it, this is an opportunity to learn from your mistakes. Uh, and I, I again, I go back to the, now we're into the Cowboy fan. Let's feel better about this. Uh, you know, in 95, San Francisco did this to Dallas on a different level. Like that one was even more, that one was more shocking. This one was more methodical, um, but th- th- they did it and Dallas still won Super Bowl in 94. San Francisco got absolutely destroyed by Philadelphia, like week two of the season. Uh, fact to the point where they benched uh, Steve Young for the part of that game. Yep. Uh, I think it was like 41 to seven, all that, you know, Dallas can easily and, and Dallas under Mike McCarthy, does tend to pick up well after the losses. I think I've read that outside of the 2020 season, they haven't lost back-to-back games or they've only lost one back-to-back game in that time. So I, I, I think Dallas will be fine going forward. And I think, honestly, Dallas in, in this week, and let's go ahead and we'll go ahead and preview this game and then we'll finish up with some quick recaps of everything else in college and pro. I think this is the best opponent for Dallas in this game because you're going to get a Charger team that can just, they, they just don't, know how to, to win when they need to. And, and I think that I think I can see Dallas getting to Herbert enough, getting a couple sacks, making a couple big plays uh, and, and all that fun stuff. The one difference this year is their offensive coordinator. And I think that'll play a big factor in this game. Yeah, you know, I, I think it does, but I, I think the idea of the oh, he's seen the Cowboy defense, that's a little overrated because usually what he sees is the Cowboys playing the scout defense of the opponent. And and so I, I don't know how much him being in Dallas matters. Um, as far as Kellen Moore, I think that also helps Dallas because if there's not a guy who will abandon the run even when it's working quicker than Kellen Moore, I don't know who it is. Yeah, and he's he should have a healthy Austin Eckler back too. So it'll be interesting to see if he's back, how much the Chargers will be running the ball. Well, again, I I, I think you can easily see. I, I could easily see a, a first half where Dallas is down fourteen to three at halftime. Eckler has sixty five yards rushing. The Chargers have hit one twenty five yards rushing, and we're all talking about that and all. And then the Cowboys come back and win, you know, thirty one twenty eight. And in the second half, the Chargers ran the ball ten times. Yeah, that would be a that would be that, a you know, thing to do. That's going to be my call. That's that's how the game plays out. Dallas okay. win thirty one twenty eight. They'll look like crap in the first half. We're going to be doing the whole up. It's this is it. Maybe Mike McCarthy doesn't make the season. Blah blah blah. Second half will come out. I'm even going down to the on the first drive. The Chargers will try to nail in the coffin, play action pass, go deep. Parsons will hit Herbert fumble Dallas goes on to that point and wins. And we all feel better about ourselves. And, and we're all laughing at Kellen Moore next week. Next Monday will be special because we'll be doing a live show. Yes, we will. And we might live from, live from the studio. Well, we might do a live react. We might do a live watch. Okay. We, 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 
We've talked about doing that. We did the live draft. We had a lot of fun doing that. And so we might do a live watch of the game. I'm, I'm, I'm debating that as we speak right now, because you're going to be over here very early and we're going to be very, very drunk. And I don't want you going Mel Gibson on this and start saying things about ethnicities and stuff. Cause you know, you're such a, you know, you're so racist about life, but no, I, I think we're going to, I think that I, I was going to bring that up actually before we started recording and I forgot to. So, Hey, programming on the fly. Uh, but I, I think we're going to, I think it's going to be a fun game. And, and I love the chargers Cowboys. Uh, they, they're those teams across the way that you just always kind of looked at. I do hope they don't do what they did a few years ago when they freaking, you remember when the chargers wore their blues and the Cowboys wore their blues and it just, I think it was, was it 2020. I don't. Yeah, I think it was 2020. It wasn't the la- very last time they played. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it was ugly. Like, and I, I like it. Like Dallas and Washington did that a couple times. They really need to go back to doing that. You could do it with Dallas and the 49ers. I think that would look gorgeous to see Dallas's blue and San Francisco's red on the field. But uh, Dallas blue and Charger powder blue that just looked really stupid on the field at the same time. But anyway. All right, we've talked an hour of the Cowboys, the Aggies, and the uh, Longhorns. Now let's go to the rest of the college and NFL world. We'll, of course, do this way, way quicker. Uh, I I do want to bring up, outside of anything else, uh, Miami Hurricane, the U, pulled off one of the most epic losses you're ever going to lose. Why don't you uh, talk about what you saw in that one there, buddy? Yeah, so Miami had a chance to kneel the ball and end this game against Georgia Tech. They were playing at home. Good win if they win that game. Yeah, if they just kneel it, they win. Game's over. They remain undefeated. Undefeated teams are falling left and right. Uh, Utah fell recently. And, uh, yeah, so uh, they decided to not do that. And let me look at the exact happenings here, but – um, this is where we're going to reference Haynes King. Uh, but yeah, so blah, 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 blah. So anyway, they, they ran the ball, got fumbled. Georgia Tech got the ball with uh, under a minute left. I think it was 24 seconds or 20, 20 uh, under 30 seconds left. Yeah. And, they, and they proceeded to march the ball 74 yards down the field. And it was a game-winning pass from former Aggie quarterback Haynes King. Yep. To Christian Leary, a 44-yard touchdown pass with two seconds left. Yep. So Miami went from kneeling the ball and winning the game to losing the game on at home. And kudos to Mario Cristobal, Miami's head coach. He acknowledged that, yeah, I made, I made a mistake. I should have kneeled the ball. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that. But I, I, So, Kevin, and it's so funny because we literally referenced this a couple weeks ago in the show. It might even have been as soon as last week. Yeah. Uh, where Kevin Steele in 2000 against uh, UNLV, he decided he wanted to prove that this was a different Baylor era and they were macho and men and they eat meat. And when they had a chance at the goal line just to kneel and, and, and win the game, they tried to score fumbles. UNLV scoops and scores 98 yards with no time left on the clock to win the game. Um, this, I think, was different. I think this was just simply a mismanagement of time. I, I don't think that they realize that, dude, we're, we're, we can just kneel now. We're good to go. Um, well, that's what we said before. Yeah, time management. And, and it's not just on the coach. That's something that, to me, should be on the staff because, we, you know, even in college now, you have a guy that literally just watches every replay yeah. to make sure, hey, that's that's the end. We need to, you know, that, that's a touchdown. We need to to challenge it. 
Um, you have that in pro and you have that in, uh, in college. You need to have, and I think every staff has a guy also that's literally, okay, I'm, I'm the guy that all I worry about is time. I don't worry about plays. I don't worry about schemes. I don't worry about injuries. All I do is I, I know all, I have a chart that has all the scenarios out that I need to do. And if you're a coach that doesn't have that, get one. Yeah. Have somebody take that. Coaches today have so much to do. I'm a big believer in the Jimmy Johnson head coaching philosophy of let everybody else do their job. You make the big decisions, but you have as much information when you make the big decisions. It's not just making the big decision. It's having your, your clock guy saying, okay, you've got three minutes, three timeouts. Here's what we need to do. You've got your, you know, your def- offense coordinator saying, here are the plays that I know will work and you trust all them. And then you go from there. That's how you should coach a, a program or, or a NFL team nowadays. Some of the best decisions or some of the best lessons are learned and lost. So hopefully Mario Cristobal learns from this and moves forward. Miami has the funds, so they can definitely afford someone like that to manage the clock, but yeah, this is a tough break for Miami because this is a wide open ACC and they, this it, is it, one of those things where they just, it, it should not have happened. And it's just gut wrenching. Cause that, that, that is a good Miami team. Regardless. Yeah. And I think they're going to still be good the rest of the way. I, I think that they're going to, uh, I think they're going to win some games and, and, and I think that they're still a really good matchup. I mean, hell they might win this week against uh, North Carolina and let's, let's talk about North Carolina. Great you, know, you know, North Carolina. Well, yeah, that but I'm just talking about just the program in general. You know, it was kind of seen when Matt Brown went back to UNC that that was going to be kind of a, a uh, oh, let's let him coach a few years, get us a couple bowl games, kind of right the ship after, oddly enough, the Butch Davis era and a couple, you know, there was the other one got for him. They just kind of had some issues with NCAA sanctions and, and just, it was a dirty – the program felt dirty. Not that it was a dirty program, but there was just a lot of dirt around the program. And so you bring in you bring in Matt Brown. He'll get you positive polys. They'll win eight. You'll go to the Poulin Weed Eater Bowl. You'll feel good about yourself. Well, holy <laughs> shit, they're right now – they control their own destiny. If they win out, and there's a really good chance they will, they win out, and UNC is making a case for being in the playoffs. Yeah, they have – to me, the best quarterback in college football. I know a lot of people talk about Caleb Williams at USC, but to me, the best is Drake May. I think he'll probably be one of the top draft picks next year in the draft. I mean, you're. St- I, I mean, I'm hearing that Caleb Williams, by all accounts, is supposed to be generational. I feel like that's getting used way too much now, though. Like, I, I like Caleb Williams. Every year, yeah. a quarterback is generational. I like Caleb Williams. I think Caleb Williams is going to be perfectly great at the NFL level. I think he will be a superstar, but didn't, isn't this what we heard about Trevor Lawrence? Like he's the next great, he's going to change everything uh, to uh, And you can say, well, look at what Tua's doing. Yeah, dude, give any quarterback in the NFL that, uh, and I'm not knocking to it, but I'm just saying, give, give Dr- Dak Prescott that offense. And boy, Dak Prescott's we're talking just like about Tua that he's probably an N- MVP candidate because that offense, and that's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. McDaniels has built the offense around what Tua does best, and it works. Uh, I just think the Caleb Williams, he's the next great, oh, my God, we'll never see anyone like him again. It's getting a little ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Um, and go back to the Colorado, uh, you, uh, the North Carolina thing, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Um, I, yeah, Tez Walker, the wide receiver, he got his eligibility reinstated yeah. by the NCAA. That was, a, to me, a great story. Um, his uh, – 
he was initially denied. So the NCAA going to you know, backtrack a little bit. The NCAA is trying to crack down on uh, people who transfer twice yeah. from being immediately eligible to play. And there were initially this is Tez Walker's second transfer, and he he was initially denied just because the NCAA is trying to crack down. But he actually had a really good reason. He was wanting to get closer to his grandmother, and uh, so he used the mental health as a reason because he was literally depressed that he yeah. he wanted his grandmother to see him play he, live sick and not doing well and yeah. blah 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 yeah so a lot of thank you know thanks to a lot of people who heard the story they started uh pressuring the NCAA to do the right thing and yeah, eventually they did and it was, it was just kind of nice to see him play and his grandmother was able to be in attendance and watch him play um on Saturday so you know it's just a good overall story I'm really happy for Mac Brown he came close a little bit in the mid to late nineties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just lost one or two games that they should Well, they lost to Florida state in, in games where that would decide if they would go to play for a championship or just go for a semi-major bowl game. And it's, it's not like they were a bad team. It's just, they didn't have the depth that Florida state had in the yeah. 90s. So yeah, they're just, you know, just like, OU in Texas, we can talk about, Oh, Matt Brown, blah, blah. Texas back then were really talented, but OU was just a better team at the time, period. I mean, I just, that's how it works. But anyway, so he's back and again, by the way, NCAA, when you're in an era where you're dying, that's not the way to keep alive is by being the, the the Scrooge on things like that. You could get away with that back when people thought that the NCAA was the only way to do college football. Now that people realize, no, that this is dumb. You, you got to pick your battles better. And, and I know that they blame, it got really ugly. Like this is not a normal transfer denial. UNC said a bunch of things and the, the NCAA basically said, Oh, well, we're allowing him to be because UNC finally gave us information that they'd been withholding, which that doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but it got really oddly ugly between the school and the, the NCAA. Yeah, I really did, man. It, it, I'm, I'm glad the good guys prevailed in this case. Um, I'm, I'm really curious to see what happens with North Carolina going forward. They have a really le- legitimate shot at competing for a championship this season, but some things are going to have to break for them for that to happen. I think that they can get into the playoffs. I don't think they're built well past that point. Um, I, I mean, cause you know, as great as their, their 12 or their 12 and 0, their five and 0 is they barely beat Appalachian state. They barely beat Pitt. They struggled against South Carolina early. Now I was impressed with how good they beat Syracuse. That felt like that could have been a really big trap game with uh, the, the Miami game and all. And, and they come out and I think they scored 27 straight and never gave them a chance. Uh, but they never gave them a chance. And that's what good teams do. You can't let the trap game stay in the game because the longer you let them stay in the game, the bigger a trap they are. I mean, I saw all these games. There's really not much that happened in college football. I mean, there was like uh, Kentucky didn't prove it against Georgia. Yeah. Georgia figured out on offense. Uh, USC, they've proven that, you know, they needed a three overtime home win against Arizona. Yeah. We uh, talked about it last week. They can outscore anybody. But they they can't stop anybody. So if 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 they're going to play the averages, they might win out. And I said last week, I do think people are calling their death knell a little quick. Oh, they can't play. I think this offense is good enough. It could basically outscore everybody. But we'll see. Now I know Louisville beat Notre Dame, yeah. and that, that was big for the program, big for Jeff Brom. 
Uh, but I'm curious to see what USC does exactly. when they go to South Bend next week to play Notre Dame. That'll be the matchup I'll be looking at. Um, yeah, I totally agree. We'll see. Then kind of give us the story on USC, Notre Dame, and Louisville. Uh, UCLA with a good win over Washington State. Uh, Washington State turned the ball over a ton. Uh, it, it's interesting to see UCLA win with more defense. We, th- we think of Chip Kelly and we think of offense scheme, all that weird stuff. But UCLA, and, and they're that team that I keep thinking I could see them beating UCLA or USC and not even needing to outscore them. I, I think UCLA is, is, is a matchup nightmare for USC. Uh, you also had, uh, hey, LSU, man, they were down early. You see this every year, though, in the SEC and the Big 12, that 11 a.m. game, the upstart team will jump out three touchdowns, and you just know. And they'll, the, it'll, it'll at least be a, a close game by the end of the road. Hell, LSU didn't even make it close by the end of the road. They end up kind of win going away. It was only by 10, but by the end of the game, you could see that they were just that much better. But really good bounce back win for LSU. Agreed, 100%. Uh, look at the rest of the college football. I'm trying to, Wyoming, the, their only loss was to the Longhorns, and they responded by beating Fresno State. They snapped Fresno State's second longest winning streak in college football at 14 games. They won 24 to 19. Uh, and then Colorado, might as well talk about them this year because everybody wants to talk about them. They had a close win uh, against Arizona State. Uh, not the most impressive from either team, but you know Colorado found a way to get their first Pac-12 And that's win. huge. This is a team on an eight-game losing streak. Everything that, and, and that's the thing people don't understand. They want to knock Dion. Everything Colorado's doing, it's the hardest to do. It's hard to erase a one and nine program. It's hard to erase an eight game losing streak in conference. You, that means that you, you're going to struggle against teams you shouldn't struggle with early. And that's what happened. And give them credit for answering back against Arizona State in that second half. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's more of a mental win, if anything. Another four and two. They won three more games this year than they did last year. This, this is already a successful season. Um, I'm hoping they get bowl eligible. I, I think they're good enough for that. Uh, of course, next season they're going to have to figure out a running game, yeah. figure out a offensive line, figure out a defense. But for, for this year, I think they've exceeded expectations. Am I? No, I, I totally agree with you there. All right, let's now go talk a little pro football. Um, let's do what I normally do at the beginning. Uh, Bear. Oh, one more thing oh, I want to say. Ahead. Uh, for me, the the game of the week next week is Oregon at Washington. Oh, yeah. I think two two undefeated teams. It could decide college football playoff positioning. So I'm looking forward to that. No, game. I I agree. I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, so let's now go to the NFL and let's talk. Uh, we'll do it like we start at the beginning. Uh, Bears beat Washington. Uh, first off, uh, it's we, we can make all the talk about Washington and, and how good or bad they really are. But I think people need to go and remember how the Bears played against the Broncos, and the Bears are starting to figure things out against bad teams. But, I mean, they haven't been beating bad teams, so this is a start. I kind of feel like we might be seeing how the Lions started last year and then they ended. Kind of feels like maybe that happens to the Bears. Maybe not at that success to where the the Lions are playing for a playoff spot last year in the last week if certain things were to to a break, right, or if they wouldn't have lost to the Jets in that ugly game. Um, But – I, the Bears just are starting to look like a functioning offense. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're running the ball, uh, and, and Fields is running the ball too. That was kind of what led to the, some of their offensive success last year. Uh, Fields got about 57 yards rushing. Herbert got 76 yards before he got hurt. But, hey, the big story, though, I mean, just like with the, the Bengals and Cardinals, wide receiver, DJ Moore, eight mm. catches, 230 yards, three touchdowns. 
Fields found his guy. You know, that, uh, I think that'll be connection. Even against Washington, hey, they minim- they they minimize the defensive line for Washington, which is pretty hard to do. I mean, Chase had a or not Chase, um, Chase Young actually, yeah, Chase Young had a really good game. Sort of sweat, sort of sweat. But for the most part, Chicago did well against that line. They gave Fields a, enough time to throw the ball around, and it was just a good mix. This is this is how Chicago was supposed to look to a lot of people going into this season. Were able to throw the ball because of more. Able to run the ball because they got Roshan Johnson yeah. and Khalil Herbert and Foreman. Now Roshan and Herbert and Foreman are all hurt, uh, but you know it's it's one of those things where it's this is a sign in the right direction. Now that Fields has seen what it looks like to be successful, hopefully that'll build upon his progress as an elite quarterback. In the does Rivera make the season? I'm starting to think he doesn't. It depends on the next four weeks go. I think if they can figure it out and get a couple wins, uh, I, I think his job will be safe. Yeah, you, you got the Falcons, the Giants, the Eagles, the Patriots, the Heat, Seahawks. Yeah, I agree. You should be yeah, able to go four and two in that stretch. Yeah, and, and that'll probably save his job for a little bit. I don't, um, especially, do, I don't think they do go four and stretch. You could go four and stretch. I, I think the Falcons beat them this week. Uh, I, I think the have a, have a really good defense. Yeah, they just – and, hey, look, I, I – and this is how we'll kind of draft into the other games. We'll kind of do what we do. We just bounce around. Uh, Desmond Ritter, I've been very hard on. I don't know if he's a true NFL quarterback. He had a hell of a game last night, yesterday, throwing for 300 yards, making some big throws in that third quarter and that fourth quarter. Uh, Bijan Robinson early had a fumble. He was kind of taken out of the game, and yet Ritter was able to step up. That's a big development right there. That's a huge step he, for him. Agreed. That was this was his best game, and he like he arrived toward the end. And the biggest thing for me, I think, for any young quarterback, their safety blanket is a tight end. I think he finally figured that out. Yeah, Pitts had eighty yards on seven catches. He needs to start doing that. I mean, he has Drake London. Drake London. He has another good tight end, Johnny Smith. And Kyle Pitts, I, I, I let let's remember this. This is one of those crazy things. Kyle Pitts is only twenty two years old. This idea that, in fact, I, I easily, if, if he doesn't last it, with Atlanta, I think he's got one year left and then his uh, his rookie deal. Well, no, they can five oh, years. He, he just turned 23. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He on just Friday, turned on Friday. Yeah. And uh, I forgot he's a first round pick, so they can five year option him. So he's there for two more years. I could easily see him either finally exploding with Atlanta or going somewhere else, Evan Ingram, going somewhere else, and you start to see, oh, this is what we can do. It's just not fitting in this system. He made a couple big catches yesterday. Um, This was a very – I know it's weird because they beat, you know, the Texans, but this was a very good, solid win all throughout. And and honestly, for Texans, you can – everything is still there for them. You can see the foundation that Ryan's is building there. Oh, yeah. This is a team that won two in a row. They're going into Atlanta, who hasn't lost at home this season. I guess they're very good Atlanta defense. They invested a lot of money to get that defense going. You're starting to see it come together, man. They, when they're, There's some drives that they look they look scary fast. And, and that was the kind of the thing with Atlanta's defense the last few years was uh, I can remember when Dallas played them a couple years ago, and it was real ugly for most of the game. But whenever Dallas needed to play, they just stretched the top of that defense, and they couldn't respond. Atlanta can respond now. That secondary is pretty quick. Yeah, you got Jesse Bates, the third back there. It's going to be pretty hard to throw downfield against Atlanta. Uh, Houston, you know, if they have Derek Stingley back there, they're almost 
they're almost healthy at, at secondary. And yeah. They get him back. I think they'll be fully healthy. They, they might have won this game with a healthy Stingley at the very end, but you know it's it is what it is. This is good. The Houston's two and three. Their offense looks good. They're finally starting to use Schultz more. They they got enough talent on that team, and you're yeah. starting to see it now. Stroud seems to be legit. He seems to be unflappable. Like he he seems to be able to do well under pressure. Um, I'm really excited about Houston. This is the most excited I've been about Houston in about five years. Houston just needs to figure out the run game. Uh, Dalton Schultz had another big game. Uh, Stroud and, and, and what would be called his worst effort as a pro still was 20 of 35 for a touchdown, no interceptions. Um, uh, he broke Dak's record. And that just goes to show you, hey, all you Houston fans, just because you break an interception rookie record doesn't mean anything. But now I, I like Stroud. And I think. I think the Texans are hand, held it in the right place. Let's stick. Let's keep in the South though, in the AFC because Indianapolis yep. just announced themselves, and so did Jacksonville. But Indianapolis just announced themselves as a true division threat as they beat Tennessee uh, in an ugly game. Like yesterday was pretty ugly. There was just a lot of ugly games. Uh, Zach Moss after Jonathan Taylor Thomas gets his three year deal. Zach Moss <laughs> has a hundred. I love the saying that. Uh, Zach Moss has 195 yards, two touchdowns. He looked great, and, and this just makes this will make Taylor better. Jonathan Taylor, by the way, if y'all really think it's Jonathan Taylor Thomas, uh, it, it, it'll make Taylor better. It'll make this offense better. And, and let's be honest, the Colts' smartest move was getting Gardner Minshew with Anthony Richardson at quarterback. I am starting to worry about Richardson. He has been hurt every game he's played, and he has been hurt in different ways in every game he's played. They're saying now he'll probably be out up to six weeks. Yeah, I think initial reports I saw was a month. But, yeah, six weeks will be pretty bad. Eight, but they got a, a really good backup quarterback in Minshew. They got Orange two. Yeah, and this is kind of a good weekend for running backs. I mean, it started with Taylor getting the three-year contract over $40 million. And then all the running backs had a great day yesterday. Um, Devin A. Chan had a great day. Zach Moss in this game, he had almost 200 combined yards. Uh, it, it was, he, he, he outshone Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor combined. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, it, the, the Colts are here and they have the depth and they have the defense to be able to compete with anybody. And, the most important part of all of this is that their offensive line is actually reverting back to where they were in 2018 when they were yeah. the best in the NFL. All right. So let's go ahead and con- let's just go ahead and finish off with Jacksonville and Buffalo in the AFC South talk. Uh, look, good win by Jacksonville. Win. Also, if you're a Cowboy fan and you want to do the whole, you need to remember this is a week to week league now. Look where Miami and Buffalo have their past the last four weeks and how. Each have looked amazing, looked bad, looked amazing, and all that. So, again, for Cowboy fans, it's okay. In this one, though, I have a huge issue with how this game scheduled out. I, look, if you want to do the London stuff, that's fine. I, I like it. It's fun to get up at 8.30 in the morning, and, you know, you're, you and I joke. We're already up anyway, and we're always like, man, I'm really ready to go. That, the only thing is it cuts into my league watching because that's when I watch the league is literally that I, I'm on season two right now. I, you know, I, I watch for the first couple hours right before the, the game start. But if you're going to do that, no team should be able to be back, be in London back to back weeks. And then the team they play have to come off a game and then go in, you know, give them the bye week or something. I, I do think that that was pretty shitty scheduling. Eh, I think it was fine. You, you knew what the schedule was going into the season. You had ample time to prepare. I don't give that as an excuse for the bills. I don't think it's an excuse, but I think there's something to be said why they were so lethargic. 
Now you can blame the bills. I don't understand coming in on Friday. Like jet lag is a real thing, folks. This isn't just a guy being lazy. Your body, no matter how much you fly, when when you're talking flying 16 hours and, and being in a different time zone, your body has to adjust. Uh, and, and so I'm not saying it's 100 on the NFL, but the NFL could help there. Again, this goes back to helping your players succeed. You can set this up where all this happens the same way. Hey, Jacksonville gets two weeks. Just give the team they're playing the second week a bye. Just simply as that, just give them a buy or have them play the Thursday night before. And then they basically get a mini buy. And then that way they can adjust. They can fly over on Sunday if they want, spend the whole week, do the whole thing. I, I, again, I don't think it caused the loss. I just think the NFL sometimes they just, just do better. Or Buffalo could have flown out on Wednesday. Oh, I agree. No, I agree. I, I'm not saying it's again, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying the easiest problem would have been, Hey, let's not have Jacksonville have the ability to stay over for two weeks. And then Buffalo has to play. Cause even then, even Buffalo coming over, that's still just, that's a big advantage for Jacksonville period. That's a big advantage to be over there for two weeks. Yeah. And they did a smart thing and stayed out there. Uh, you know, the, again, the, the theme this weekend was running backs, just blowing up. Travis oh. had a great game, especially in the second half against what? Buffalo. Exactly. I was going to say, not only did he have a big game, but he had a big game when it mattered in the second half. When Buffalo was starting to kind of get better and you could kind of see them finding their feet and all offensively. Uh, and Buffalo's defense, once again, another year, it looks like they're just going to be completely ravaged with injuries all year. Uh, and they got hurt even three times more in that game. Wow. They're, they're just, they're just, they're just struck right now with a curse of injuries. But, uh, at the end, just whenever they needed six yards, he got eight. Whenever they needed eight yards, he got 11. And that run game looks so good. Those offensive linemen popping out on those little pitch outs to him, and he's not getting touched till he's in the second level. Oh, magnifique. I was so, I was, I love, you know me. I always send you run blocking stuff that I find on Twitter and stuff. You know, and, I love it. Oh, I know you love to. And dude, they were setting that edge and sealing the edge all at once, which is, if people don't know, that's the old Lombardi. We're going to seal it here and seal it here. That's called, now you call the inside setting the edge, the outside you're sealing it. And Jacksonville was against even still good Buffalo defenders just doing it so well. That I, I'm telling you, dude, Jacksonville is, is more impressive right now than they were last year. And they have not been putting up a lot of the same stats as they were last year. They just look like more of a complete team when they play good. Their problem is still being consistently a, a complete team. Yeah. But again, only five games into the season, there's a lot yeah. of football left to be played. So uh, I like to see how Jacksonville is not by November. I mean, last year they, we're peaking toward the second half of the season. So, yeah. And, and it felt like, a, and I even said it in the preview, it felt like some of their stuff was magic, you know, and, and those are fun. And man, you love those, but those don't tend to carry over as far as playing that same way this year. They're starting to be a little bit more consistent. You know, they're starting to, you know, to, to when things are going good, they're going good offensively and through the run game and, and pass. I don't know. I just, it just looks different to me. That's all I'm going to say. It just looks different. And they were one of the best uniform games of the week. Oh, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. Of course, Dallas-San Francisco was beautiful. Kansas City-Minnesota, very pretty. Rams and, you know what? It worked in the sun. It, it looked more like the old school L.A. Yeah. Rams in the it, 80s, 90s and before. I think you had said it before. It looks okay in, in a stadium that's not basically – I mean, the the – where they play now is SoFi is basically a, a dome stadium it, and the lights always make it look like a night game in there. And so it doesn't quite, but out in the Philadelphia sun uh, on the noon game or like, or was that was three o'clock game. 
three o'clock. Either way, it, it looked good. I, I like that one. Uh, all right, the other ones, New York, Denver. Dude, it, it would have been the perfect one if the Jets would have wore the white face mask. Yep. That's the, <laughs> I like the all orange Denver look because it it, it harkens to the old style, and, and I still like the old logo and all that better. And I, I thought the end zone color option too. And the Broncos have been playing around with the end zones for the last couple of years. Them and the Chiefs, they'll go multiple end zones. I wish that's one of those things I wish Dallas would do more with, with all the helmets they have and things like that. Uh, let's see here. Jacksonville, Buffalo. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, Tennessee, Indianapolis. I hate, I, I don't, I, I don't like the Tennessee redo. Um, I don't like the helmet. Um, I, I wish they would at least bring back the white helmet as the option, but that looked good yesterday. And it looked good because everybody was wearing the baby blue sock sleeves. And that to me made that look really, really good. Yeah. And then yeah. let's go ahead. No, I was saying hundred percent agree. I, and uh, we, Oh, did you talk about the giants in Miami? Yeah. So that was the one that kind of, and, and you and I've talked about this. I've, I do not like the Miami look now, but yeah. when they wear all white, it does look okay. It it, it kind of kills the day glow look and all that. And the Giants, the Giants are kind of like the Rams, except for the Giants uniform has never been ugly. It just it, it gets kind of stale. But for some reason, when you put the Giants in a day game on a grass field in the middle of the day, that blue and gray just looked really good. And it actually worked really well with that Miami. Now, in saying that, I still would have loved to have seen the all-white Miami of the 80s and all that. But that's that looked really, really good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Who were the bad ones? Uh, to me, I would say the Thursday night game, Chicago, Washington. Um, I just didn't like the all black of Washington. It, it Washington just has an underrated look, but that's the bad one. They they need to get rid of that one. Yeah. And then Houston, Atlanta. Uh, I like the team's color options some weeks, but, you know, I love it when Atlanta does the red helmet with the, yeah. the black uniforms, but the, their uniforms then, it, it just didn't, it didn't look good to me. Um, it's just, and it clashed like, with Houston. It just looked like two of the same teams playing against each other. That's exactly what I was going to say. I, I like Atlanta. I, I think Atlanta is one of the few teams that every change has always been perfect for that era. Yeah. I, I like the change they do now. I think for the most part, they all look good and they throw in the retro. Yeah. I also think with Houston, we all know a change is coming. And so we're getting like, right, we're ready to see the change. We're ready to see the change. I'll, I'll go through the rest of these other games just real quick. Cause I want to talk about the, the Jets yeah. and Broncos. Uh, New Orleans, they shut out the Patriots in New England, 34 nothing. Kind of a home game. Kamar became the all-time uh, Saints touchdown leader. Yep. Uh, Mac Jones is benched again, so I have no idea what the quarterback situation is going to be with the Patriots. Uh, we already talked about Miami, the the Giants. It was just 31-16 Miami. Uh, Devin Akane, or sorry, Devin A. Chan had 165 combined yards, 76-yard uh, touchdown run. Right. I want to say this. Okay. Tua threw two interceptions. One of them was a pick six that if the Giants had any offensive teeth could have changed. This is where I talk about Tua. He kind of reminds me of Dak in when Dak was going good in 2022 and 2021. And, you know, offense can't be stopped. But what's going to happen when you you throw that pick six in a game that matters? I, I still think there's questions about that with Tua. Yeah, playing against a team with a better quarterback that that could have been a momentum changer. I think the Dolphins were up fourteen to three when that hundred and two yard pick six occurred. So yeah, um, I hope Daniel Jones is okay. He had a neck injury. He left the game. I have no the I have no idea what the extent of the injury is. Yeah, I haven't heard. Um, uh, Detroit forty two, Carolina twenty four. I, I think at this point, 
Well, Jared Goff, four touchdowns. Sam Laporta, the rookie tight end, had two touchdowns. To me, the big thing about this is when do they make a change at quarterback for Carolina? Because Andy Dalton plays much better in the short term right now for Carolina than Bryce Why? Young does. Why would you make a change? Because yeah, they are they don't look good right now. I think Bryce Young just needs some more time. Well, hey, I, I don't get – I think the Bryce Young thing has been kind of vastly overrated as far as what he can and can't do. Um, on the year so far, he's thrown for uh, five touchdowns and four interceptions. Um, I'm sorry, three touchdowns and four interceptions. Uh, no, no, five touchdowns. I'm right. Uh, he was perfectly fine in the game, 247 yards, 61%. But more importantly, if you're like if you're Carolina, this is a this is a bonus year. Let let him learn. Go Owen, whatever. Get the first or second or third round pick, and you instantly make you a bet. I, I know we all talked about last year. They almost made the playoffs and they, and I still think the roster is pretty good. They need a wide receiver, a true wide receiver threat, which is kind of funny since they traded DJ Moore. That's always one of those. They, they, they got Mingo now in the draft. So he's yeah, more, but they do need more. I agree. They need better running back help too. Cause Miles Sanders, he hasn't been playing that great this season. Well, and again, the, the biggest issue with Nile uh, with miles is always is he's basically been beat up. And, yeah. and that's, you know, th- that was the question when people were like, well, what are you going to do? But I mean, to me, the biggest issue right now is, is their defense has got to be rebuilt. Um, and, and if they can figure that out I, again, I think this is a bonus season for them. Hey, be a first round pick and, and, or even let's again, it's still the South. And I know Baker Mayfield is, it's been a good story, but Baker Mayfield will eventually do May- Baker Mayfield things. I, I think even at zero and five, I think that I, I think they're fine. Let, let them either tank with, with with him or he figures it out. I think if you play Andy Dalton, you win enough just to muck up your draft pick. How many times when we talk about that that early, that the three and five, three years of five and 11 for Dallas, if they would have just in two of those years only won three games, how that could have changed the, 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 the franchise because that five and 11 was getting them just right in the middle of a first round where you were kind of going, okay, you can might get an impact player. You might just get an okay player. Uh, and, and so I, I think if you're Carolina, you sink and swim with what's going on and, and not worry about wins. I guess you make some good points. Uh, <laughs> uh, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. I think Baltimore just gave this game away. That's what my cat was doing all day yesterday watching that game. That game was ugly, man. It was ugly, but Baltimore was in control. They just oh, they, yeah. they, they, they turned it over three times. They had the block punt safety, and they just uh, let – you know, anytime they've won, anytime the Steelers have won, Kenny Pickett's had one really good drive. Yeah. One, it was toward the end where he, you know, got it to, he got a couple of connections to George Pickens, including the touchdown to win the game. Uh, this is, I mean, Baltimore's going to London next week to play the Titans. I mean, this is kind of a sour taste in their mouth. Exactly. And, and, and that could be a good thing going over to, to London and getting away from the actual NFL press and all that. Cause Lamar Jackson, Look, I, I like Lamar Jackson, um, and, and and I think Lam- I, I, you you know you and I we've talked about. This. I don't buy into that whole quarterbacks built to win a title or not. I think that's just stupid stuff that writers create. I, I think he can perfectly win, yeah. but he just doesn't look right this year. He he has just not looked right. Yeah, in, in the in the wins he's looked okay, but like in these losses, I don't know what's going on. They, they just don't. They're not. They, they they got Georgia's offensive coordinator Todd Munkin to be their offensive coordinator. Yeah, and there's times where I think this is a great hire. Lamar Jackson's built up his body; he's bigger. He can take 
some of these hits now. Yeah. And they're running the ball. They they got weapons. They flowers looking like a like a legit talent. Yeah, I was watching. I was paying attention to him yesterday because I, I kind of started. So what I do is I have my, uh, you know, I have the red zone on, and then I'll pick a game to kind of concentrate on on the laptop. And for a while, I, I put it on that game. Maybe that's why I was sick all day. Yeah. Um, Jay Flowers is starting to figure things out. You can tell with his route running and, and things like that. Now, I, I want to say this about Lamar before we go on. The Ravens receivers dropped five or six key passes yesterday. That, that They looked terrible on that. Rashad Bateman dropped a touchdown. Uh, Flowers had a couple of drops. So I'm not going to put it all on Lamar Jackson. Oh, for sure. It was a, it was a team effort Yeah, of choking. Yeah. It was, they just messed up so much. Like Pittsburgh's three and two, but it's a very shaky three and two. They did not look good at all. They're, they're finding ways to win. This is a Mike Tomlin staple. They 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 do it ugly. Uh, the Ravens had a chance to sweep the AFC North on the road this season, but you know they crapped the bed and they're gonna have to go to London with that thought. And, and I feel sorry for the Titans because I think the Ravens are gonna take it out on them pretty well this weekend. Yeah, and, and but it was just the most Raven thing that they they beat a really good defense in Cleveland and and. and beat them with, with with a with an effort that it wasn't close it wasn't like it was seven to three they i think it was 28 to three uh, and then to turn around and do this and let's give hey man you, you brought it up kenny pickett that i'm not big on him as far as a long-term starter and, and you brought up the drive thing is that not quincy carter the year that bill parcells got them to dallas to the playoffs oh, quincy three, carter yep. had two good drives a game that's all you needed and pittsburgh's defense is good enough, and we can joke about Tomlin and how good he is as a coach. But, dude, if you had three and if you had the Steelers three and two with wins over the Browns and the Ravens as at the beginning of the year, you're, you're crazy. Now, in saying that, they turn around last week and just absolutely get throttled by the Texans 30 to six. That's why, again, go back to the Cowboys. That's why what happened now matters, but doesn't matter in 10. 11 weeks when the season starts coming to the playoffs this we are officially and have been for a while but truly officially in a week by week league in the nfl and also division rival cincinnati they kind of wrote the wrongs on offense uh, it was like joe burrow's ankle or uh, not ankle but his uh calf felt fine he was running running around a little bit yeah making some acrobatic throws. Uh, but Jamar Chase, big story of the day. He had 192 yards and three touchdowns, his first touchdowns of the season. And Bengals don't look listless. You know, they were out without T. Higgins, but they showed up and they got a big road win at Arizona, 34-20. to 20. Yeah, I. Uh, it's amazing how when you start throwing back to Jamar Chase more, how amazing the offense will look. And sometimes, you know, T. Higgins is great. T. Higgins would be a one – receiver on a lot of teams so sometimes you need a, a t higgins to be out for a game and, and to let burrow and jamar chase have to basically be the only thing in your passing game and, and remind you how good jamar chase is and arizona was pretty good on offense too it's just yeah you could see that they're they they need some help and i think they're doing the best with what they got but yeah they're, they're definitely not there yet um, hey I know you want to talk about it, so bring up the Broncos and Jets game. Okay, I was about to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Nathaniel Hackett revenge game. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, so Nathaniel Hackett was the head coach for the Broncos last season. He got fired before the season ended. Now he's the offensive coordinator for the Jets. They come into Denver. Denver looks beautiful. Jets look beautiful in their uniforms. 
Brees Hall, back-to-back years, 60-plus yard touchdown runs against Denver. Last year was a 62-yarder. This year was a 76 or 72-yard. Oh, 70. Yeah, 70-plus yard touchdown. And uh, Zach Wilson didn't look good for most of the game. He didn't look as good as he did Sunday night against the Chiefs, but he had a he kind of picked it up toward the end of the game. And uh, oh, man, the the end of the game though, the the Broncos are trying to drive and tie the game, and Russell Wilson rolls out to his left, gets sacked by Quincy Williams, fumbled. Bryce Hall, not Brees Hall, not Brees Lightning, as some people call him, uh, picks it up, scores a touchdown. 31-21 Jets. My favorite part was when Russell Wilson was going off to the sideline. Sean Payton just looked at him, was like chewing him out, like just wondering what he was he thinking. Because this is a yeah. veteran. Russell Wilson's won a Super Bowl, been to another. He's a veteran, multiple-time Pro Bowler. Making, I mean, that is something a rookie does. Yeah. He, he should be better at protecting the football, especially in a clutch situation like that. Well, so, and – also, two things. First off, we'll talk when we do our live stuff next week. We'll talk more about some of the remarks that Marshawn Lynch made this past week oh, yeah. about Russell Wilson because that also led Warren Sapp and Keyshawn Johnson to have an interesting back and forth about their days together. And so we'll, we'll talk about that going forward. Um, but also, let's be honest, you can now tell Sean Payton does not want Russell Wilson as his quarterback. He is going to figure out however he can. And this is why I, I kind of am starting to wonder is, is this maybe this may be one of those tank that doesn't look like a tank because the Broncos now can start talking about, well, what if we get into the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, you, you get a stud quarterback like Caleb. And I know the rumors about him only having five teams. I, I would have to assume he would not hate being on the Sean Payton's Broncos, um, but you get him with a five-year rookie deal that allows you to eat the cost of Russell Williams, big contract way easier. And there's rumors that the Broncos are sellers right now. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So that's why I wonder, you know, all the talk about the bravado of the Sean Payton. I kind of wonder if maybe in the behind the scenes, he's was basically telling front office, look, this is, we're going to try, but if we start off one and four, oh, and five, we might just tank for Caleb and then we can figure out Russell Wilson going forward. Uh, but yeah, great win. Hey, then look, the Jets, the Jets are still there, man. I mean, yeah, Buff, uh, Miami started out four and one, but Buffalo's three and two. The Jets are two and three. Patriots are basically out of it. If, if the Jets can figure out, run the ball, play defense, convert all your red zone chances, protect Zach Wilson enough to where he doesn't make a ton of mistakes, I don't want to be playing the Jets in, in, in four or five weeks. Yeah, just pretend he's Mark Sanchez. It's the first couple of years he's quarterback. Get some feet pictures for Rex Ryan. Yeah. Read all. No, yeah, I mean, re- rely on the running game. Rely on the defense. Those are your strengths. Play to that. You got Legatron at kicker. Like, just play play an ugly game, and you should be able to win these games. They were doing it last year. Yeah. With Zach Wilson at quarterback and Joe Flacco at quarterback. But they have Brees Hall. Now they have Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. Just well, let them – just let them get 30 touches each or combined and let's, let's see what happens. That'll be their best chance to win. I have a big prediction on Dalvin cook. Dalvin cook will be, be a cowboy before the year's over. Wow. I, I just, what is your theory behind this? Well, Dallas, I mean, look, I like Pollard. I think Pollard's a great running back, but Dallas, whether it's Ezekiel or whatever in the red zone, Dallas has missed a guy that you can just 
give the ball to it to five and three carries, and he's going to eventually get you into the end zone. And Dalvin Cook's that type of player. Dalvin Cook's young enough, and, and his contract will be favorable enough, and you're not going to have to trade a ton for him unless he goes off, unless Brees Hall gets hurt and he goes off. He hasn't got a lot of touches for the Jets so far. And so I just I see him as being a a, a big time trade guy for the Jets who might need a little bit of depth somewhere or maybe even just a, a late draft pick, a sixth or seventh round. And I I think that I mean, we talked about this when he was free. I never understood why Dallas wasn't talking with Dalvin Cook. I think Dalvin Cook is a more athletic Ezekiel uh, Elliott as far as he can do the things Ezekiel does, but he can also catch the ball like Ezekiel did five years ago. So I just think that that's an obvious fit for a Dallas. Dallas is going to have to make a trade for something, yeah. even if it's just to kind of get the locker room. And I don't mean like this week. I mean, but by, you know, by the time of trade deadline, anyway, where else you want to go as we finish up? I think that was it as far as NFL. I think we covered every game, which okay. good job. I know you Well, you've been rambling all the day. So I didn't much chance to talk but no um uh, oh yeah kansas minnesota uh i'm not sure what the extent of justin jefferson's hamstring injury is yeah uh i mean that's not the issue with minnesota when he was healthy they were still losing they're 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 losing like they were in 2021 and then they kind of corrected it last year with yeah, good point. Good yeah. Point. it's just it, it, they they lost all these close games in 2021 they were winning them in 2022 and now they're losing them again in 2023 um, different coach, same situation. I'm not sure where they go with this, but they are turning the ball over still. That's not helping. Um, I think they're leading the league right now. Against the Chiefs. Huh? Played a good second half against the Chiefs. Yeah, they, they, overall, I mean, they hung with the Chiefs. I'm not sure what that means, though, because the Chiefs aren't really blowing out anybody except yeah. the Bears. Uh, Kelsey, he came back from a high ankle sprain. He was medically cleared to come back. And maybe it wasn't that serious, but he then he caught a touchdown. Pretty clutch effort on his part. Uh, big road win for the Chiefs. Beautiful uniform game. Uh, I think Minnesota played well overall. Um, yeah. Anyway. So when does Kirk Cousins get traded to the Jets? <laughs> I mean, isn't that That's a, the answer. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't that be a, a natural move for Minnesota? You, you, if you're, you can't unless you're going to turn it around. Yeah. And, and again. In the NFL today, that happens more than we realize. Mm -hmm. But they are still now what one in four. Yep, they're one in four, but they're only a negative twelve. So they play in the next few weeks: the Bears, the Niners, the Packers, the Falcons, the Saints, the Broncos. Well, hang, hang on, Bears, Raiders, Bengals. That's okay. not a bad stretch. No, I mean, first off, the Niner game would be the perfect game where the Niners defense just doesn't quite play as well and Minnesota pulls off a game. But even if they don't, they lose that game. They are – I still have them beating the Bears. I think the Packers is a 50-50. Falcons is 50-50. Saints will be an issue. Yeah. Broncos. But, I mean, yeah, they could easily be 5-5 five and five here in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very possible. Well, but if they don't, let's just say that they don't, and let's say they are going south. Why are you not trading Kirk Cousins at the at the trade line deadline? And why would the Jets not be willing to give up something pretty big? Not maybe a first round, but a second. It's very hard to trade a quarterback during during season. I mean, but it happens. It happens, but it's it's very rare, and I don't think they would just get rid of Kirk Cousins like that. During season, it'll be probably after the season they're going to do anything. But and this is last year. I think so. But what's the point of 
What's the point if 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 the season's over? What's the point of keeping Kirk Cousins? Um, nothing because they haven't really done anything with them. And so are you going to, again, it's the baseball move, which football does more football has finally got to the baseball where, okay, we're going to lose this guy at the end of the year. Anyway, we might as well get something for him. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, I, but, but I still think, I still don't think Minnesota's done telling the story this year anyway. All right. So give me your final prediction of the Cowboys chargers. I believe Dallas will win. They'll go four and two going into the week seven by, I think they'll win uh, blah, 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 21, 17. All right, I say 31-28. The Chargers will be up 21-3 to at halftime. Austin Eckler is going to be on his way to a 50-foot fantasy football game, and then Kellen Moore does Kellen Moore things and starts trying to do seven concept design plays that just Dallas does enough to win. And that just feels like, again, Dallas does bounce back from their bad losses usually pretty good. All right, that's going to do it. Anything else? Okay. Uh, Jalen Hurts, most complete games this week. This yeah, we didn't, we didn't really talk about that. Let, okay, we'll talk about that real quick. Thank you. Uh, first off, I, I keep saying it at the Rams. I know their record's not great. The Rams are not a bad team. Um, yeah, they've been, they've been competitive in all their losses, especially with yeah. the 49ers, too. Exactly. And, and they were competitive in this one early. But, yeah, this this felt like on a day that the the, the Niners announced how good they are, mm-hmm. I, I think that the, the Eagles announced how good they were. Maybe not as pretty or as dominating. Dominating, but still, we're we're clashing towards Eagles Niners in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean Jalen Hurts over 300 yards passing, seven yards rushing, touchdown pass, touchdown run, touch push. Uh, Jalen Carter, Hassan Reddick had two sacks each. It was a it was a pretty it was a complete game on his part. Not the prettiest win, but the Eagles have been winning not pretty most of this season anyway. So it was just another week and. The Rams are a tough out. They're them and the Cardinals, the the two NFC West teams. I thought they were going to be cellar dwellers. They're they're playing really well this year. Yeah, I, I can definitely see a path with the Rams. You know, they've got the Cardinals, the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Packers, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the yeah. Browns. I mean, if, if they stay healthy, the Rams could easily within six games be four and four. What's yep. that? Right? No, six, uh, four and five. And that puts you in, in today's playoff for the extra playoff spot. You know, anything around 500 will keep you in the playoff race. Yeah. Yeah. That, there's a lot of NFL to play. Cooper Cup's back for the Rams. So, good. yeah. And then they have three stud receivers, two, two at well, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakuna. It's going to be a tough out for them. If they can ever get consistent running game, Kyron Williams is pretty good. But if, if, it, if it stays consistent, the Rams will be tough outs going forward the rest of the season. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, in this game, this was just the Eagles just wearing them down. Yeah, you know it was it was uh, seventeen fourteen at half for Philadelphia, and then Philadelphia's defense just put the clamps on on the Rams in the second half. And, and it wasn't that the the Rams or that the Eagles moved the ball a lot in the second half. They only scored six points. Uh, it, but that's that's good. Good ugly teams can play pretty or play ugly, and that's what the Eagles are. And, and this was a game that we can now we can bring up the point that the Eagles have not looked great in any of their games that that is a valid thing um but i still think it speaks well of them that they can win these games going away when they don't even look good yeah, as long as you get the w that's all that matters yeah this isn't the college game all right that's gonna do it for week six he's intern i'm terry bennett i want to thank grandeur pest solutions want to remind you you can follow us on twitter at outdrank you you can also email us odtcnf at gmail.com. We're going to be changing that here in a couple weeks. Uh, in fact, maybe as early as next week. But until then, again, next week, Monday night, 
Uh, it's going to be a little different. We're going to record later. Well, we're going to record. Okay, so I, I totally forgot. I should have done this earlier. Um, we're going to do the 90s versus 70s video we were going to do in August. We're finally going to do that where we kind of just break. It's just a chance to slob the knobs of those two great franchises and those two great eras. We're not really versus. We're just going to kind of pick out. Actually, more of the research, you realize how those teams were almost alike in a lot of their stats from winning wins in the decade, losses in the decade, how many all pros, how many hall of fames, all that kind of stuff. Uh, then we're going to do some, we're going to do our normal week seven show. And then we might, and I think we are, I think we'll do the live thing on Monday night and just put it up on YouTube live. And if it's like the draft, and we have 60 people watch, Hey, 60 people can watch us get mad at the Cowboys and all that fun stuff. But until then he's in turn. No, I'm Terry Bennett. And this has been out drank the coverage 